Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Guide Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Serlo, and I am elated to bring you today's episode of Highly Technical Golf Talk with my friend, Brett Hochstein. Uh, this is an interview that Brett and I recorded back in late April. Uh, it was the second part of a marathon podcasting session that we did together. Uh, the first part was focused on Jack Fleming and an article that Brett wrote uh, for Golf Guide Magazine uh, last year in Volume 22, which was fantastic. If you haven't had an opportunity to go back and listen to that yet, I highly encourage you to do so. Just go back into your podcast feed player and just look for the last episode of Highly Technical Golf Talk, and you will find that uh, interview with Brett. And this uh, is the second portion of our interview where we discussed an article that I wrote uh, in this year's ep- or this year's issue of uh, Golf Guide Magazine about um, all the new golf development projects, or I shouldn't say all, but a, many of the golf development projects that are currently underway here on the West Coast. And uh, actually, since we recorded this podcast, one of them has opened uh, in the Sheep Ranch at Bannon Dunes, which, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you are not aware of the Sheep Ranch, then uh, your existence confuses me. So uh, luckily, I don't really think there's any of you out there that qualify. So uh, I'm not questioning anybody, thankfully. Um, but anyway, a really fun podcast day with Brett. We actually had a whole other part of the podcast where Brett was kind of talking to us about everything he had been doing since he was on the podcast last uh, a couple of years ago. But uh, just for the sake of you know keeping this podcast under two hours long, I'm going to save that and hold that hopefully for a rainy day when we can release it. So primarily on this podcast, we're just going to be focusing on uh, on the courses that I covered in uh, in my piece in the magazine. Um, Brett, you know, with his, uh, with his expertise and his experience was able to really lend a hand and, uh, shine a light on some different aspects of these projects that me as a non, you know, designer of golf courses, uh, hadn't thought about or considered. So it's really fun, uh, to get Brett's input on all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, without, you know, wasting really too much more of your guys' time, I'd like to just remind all of you that today's podcast is proudly presented to you by Sea Winds Estate, the jewel of the Pacific. And you might be asking yourself, Kyle, I, I, I have no idea what the Seawinds Estate is. Well, you know what? That's why they're advertising on this podcast, so you can be made aware of what I can only describe as probably the single most baller vacation rental on the Oregon coast. Um, the Seawinds Estate is essentially a 7,000-square-foot home hanging over the cliffs uh, on the Oregon coast about 10 miles north of Bandon Dunes. So in, the, in this era of social distancing... Um, if you or, you know, a group of friends of maybe, you know, eight to 12 to 16 people are thinking you want to go to Bandon Dunes or maybe just go play some golf on the Oregon coast, but maybe you don't quite feel comfortable enough yet to go be staying at the resort and things like that. The Seawinds Estate is here for you. I mean, like I said, 15 ish beds, uh, 7,000 square foot house with a huge deck and patio that looks just, you know, 270 degree views of just ocean and beach. It's just it's absolutely wild. I would encourage all of you guys to check out their website, Sea Winds Estate, S E A W I N D S Estate.com. Uh, they are booked for pretty much every weekend uh, throughout the summer and the fall, but it looks like they're starting to get availability for uh, the winter golf season, and they certainly have a lot of availability in 2021 and beyond. So check out the Sea Winds Estate, the Jewel of the Pacific. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting up there myself. I think I'm going to be taking a little trip up there with the wife and maybe a couple buddies here in the next couple months. And man, if, if you think I'm excited now, just wait until I actually have some personal experience at the Sea Winds Estate that, uh, whew, 
It's going to be wild. So, all right, everybody, without any further delay, let's get to our interview with Brett. Uh, after the intro, I'm actually going to preface it uh, with one last little announcement because there have been some updates to the projects that Brett and I are going to be discussing. So I'll hit those at the top, and then we'll go right into our interview with Brett here on Highly Technical Golf Talk. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Fuck. Shit. These are highly technical golf terms. You'll use them on your very first lesson. All right, as I mentioned at the top, um, since we recorded this podcast with Brett back in late April, there have been some updates to uh, the majority, actually, of uh, the courses that we discuss in our interview. Um, the article that I wrote for Golf Guide that this is all kind of based off of, um, I actually wrote back in February because we went to press at the end of February for this year's edition of Golf Guide magazine, which uh, subsequently arrived back from the printers uh, a day or two after the shelter-in-place orders had uh, been put in effect in California. Therefore, um, you know, most of the places that would have been getting magazines uh, in mid-March and late March um, still are without magazines. We're, we're waiting to get the okay from a lot of golf courses across California uh, to finally be able to deliver those magazines. But most of the golf courses in Washington, many in Oregon and California and Nevada do have Golf Guide magazines already. Um, so you'll be able to, you know, get your hands on one and, and read the article um, that I wrote that uh, we're discussing with Brett. But you know, if you haven't found one yet, listen to this podcast is, is going to get you 99.9% of the information you'd get in the article and a whole lot more. Because like I said at the top, um, ha- having Brett's take on all this stuff is, is really valuable and uh, and very enlightening uh, regarding all the stuff. But the couple updates I wanted to hit on these different golf courses. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, as I mentioned, the Sheep Ranch is already open. We've been hearing great reviews f- uh, about it already. So I'm excited to get up there and play it myself here in November. Um, another course that we talk about is the Brambles uh, Golf Course in Lake County. Um, since our podcast, they have broken ground. They are beginning to actually build the golf course. I know that Bill Core was on site all of last week working on the project as well, so that seems to be moving along swimmingly. Um, we do talk about the Tiger Woods redesign of the Peter Hay Golf Course at Pebble Beach. That is their par 3 golf course that is located uh, near the Pebble Beach Golf Shop and the first hole at the links at Pebble Beach. Um, Tiger last week revealed his design uh, for the Peter Hay Golf Course, which is going to include a replica of the seventh hole, the infamous par three seventh at Pebble Beach. It will be the second hole um, on the new Peter Hay par three course, which is pretty interesting because um, as I've been following this project, it's gone through a lot of different iterations and a lot of different ideas. Um, at one point, it was just going to be a refurbishment of the old course. Then they were going to bring in someone like Frontier Golf, who was going to rebuild and redesign a whole new thing, but they weren't going to do so under Tiger Woods. They were just going to leave it up to their guys to to do something with it. And then when Tiger Woods got brought on board, they were starting to think that maybe it would be a course filled with replica par threes from all of Pebble Beach's golf courses, which includes Spyglass, Pebble, Spanish Bay, and Del Monte. And then now finally we've gotten word um, from Tiger Woods Design that actually it's just going to be a new nine-hole course, you know, just with all kind of original short par threes. I mean, with the exception, I think the, the replica of number seven is going to be the longest hole on the golf course. I mean, if, if my memory serves me correctly, I'm going to bring up the little thing here. The yardages for the new par three course are going to go like this. 57, 106, 82, 47, 48, 77, 61, 92, 100. Um, 
that means for someone like me, I, I am going to be able to play this golf course with a sand wedge, a putter, and nothing else, which in a way actually is pretty cool. Um, the one thing that uh, they were we were not anticipating um, beforehand that is going to be included in this new Peter Hay golf course is there is also going to be an 18-hole putting course at that facility, which uh, makes perfect sense. Putting courses uh, are justifiably becoming more and more popular, especially at destination golf courses and resorts. So uh, the new Peter Hay uh, golf course designed by Tiger Woods Design, again, nine holes. One of those holes, number two, is going to be a replica of the par three seventh hole at Pebble Beach. And then we'll also include a 18-hole putting course as well as a new uh, facility where they'll be doing uh, merchandise and food and drinks and stuff like that. So that's the update for the Peter Hay golf course. Um, for the Tom Doak project in Lake County that we'll talk about, um, there hasn't really been any updates to the course since then, but as I mentioned, uh, I finished writing this article in February. Back in January, Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg put a, a feeler out there saying that he was going to be doing an interview with Tom Doak. And uh, so, you know, Andy's been on this podcast a couple of times before, so I wrote in and said, hey, can you ask him about what the deal is with this new uh, this new Maha project? Um because at that time I was still trying to collect information uh, for, for my article and, you know, didn't hear anything back. And then finally, like two or three weeks ago, Andy released his interview with Tom where they talked all about the Maha Project. Um, so somehow somebody is actually storing these podcasts longer than I have. So I think Andy and Tom probably recorded that in January, February and just released it uh, at the beginning of June. Um, so, you know, th there hasn't really been any updates that that project is still years away from coming to fruition. But if you're looking for additional information on the Maha project, uh, beyond what we provide you in this podcast, you can always go check out that, uh, that episode of the Friday podcast with, uh, Tom Doak. And then finally, the last update I wanted to provide you guys with is for the quicksand par three course, the new David McClay kid design par three course up at Gamble Sands. Um, since, uh, I think when we recorded this podcast, David McClay kid was actually on site doing all the shaping and the course has, uh, since begun to get grassed in and it looks like is it's going to be open and available for preview play, uh, for maybe the last month or so of their golf season this year in October. Uh, and then it'll be open, you know, full, full steam ahead, uh, at the beginning of the 2021 golf season up there, uh, in April. So, with that, everybody, there are all the updates for the courses that Brett and I talk about. There's still a lot more worth listening to. Really fun conversation with Brett. And so let's get to it right here, right now. Um, as somebody that's obviously involved uh, in, you know, redoing golf courses, making them better, uh, I know you've been involved with new builds before, Um Right now, at least on the Pacific Coast, there are a handful of different projects, and th this is just a, a few of them, and ones that I covered in a in a story that I wrote for Golf Guide. But there does seem like there's a bunch of new projects, you know, uh, being built on the West Coast, despite everything that's going on right now. And the first one that I wanted to jump to was uh, you mentioned Corica Park, the South Course, and then I just obviously they're you know going to be planning Santa Ana Bermuda on the North Course when it finally opens. Um, I know you read my little quick little write-up, so I just kind of want to discuss with you um, sort of some different trends that I'm starting to see because a lot of these new projects that are being built um, on the West Coast, the, the common theme that I found is that they're almost all have some sort, something that separates them from the typical golf course and that there's some little feature about them or the way they're being laid out that is unique to that course and is not necessarily the case for a lot of other courses and so I'll start with you for Brett on uh, for the north course they're building at Corica Park. 
Um, the south course, they built it as sort of an Australian sandbelt-style course. The north course apparently is going to be more of a Scottish uh, Lynx course in that they're going to go single-height grass for the entire pro- you know entire golf course, no rough. Uh, they're doing revetted bunkers um, throughout. There's going to be fewer of them, but you know traditional Scottish-style pop bunkers with a ton of undulation that they're actually creating from scratch uh, in the fairways and greens. Um, my, my first question to you, man, is have you seen or heard of anybody tr- attempting to do something like that in California or I should say on the West Coast outside of a place like Bandon where, you know, Lynx golf is obviously, you know, kind of a natural fit. Um, were, were you kind of surprised to learn what they were trying to do at the North Course at Corica Park? Um, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I've, I've had a chance to – I walked a, a little bit of it in the dirt. And uh, I didn't know that they're actually going to be revetting. Well, no, so I don't, I don't remember that. Now, again, that, that is uh, something that I, I remember that w- part. when I talked with my um, contact there uh, a, a few months ago, that was the plan. Like anything else, it certainly can change. I, I would be shocked if that stays the case because I know at least at Bandon um, on the original David Kidd course, like they had a revetted mm-hmm. big pot bunker on number 11 at the original course that, you know, since has they've they've gotten rid of and they've just changed it to more of a, you know, a flash mm-hmm. face kind of. So because they were explaining to me that the, the maintenance behind a revetted bunker is pretty substantial. And so yeah, what, you have to rebuild them every couple of years, and right. especially in a, you know, a more aggressive growing climate. Not that coastal California is necessarily that, but. Uh, but I've also yeah. like revetted bunkers, the, the biggest, you know, reason why courses in Scotland do them. Uh, at least as it was explained to me, and ho- hopefully you can correct me if I'm wrong, is simply because it kind of helps shield the the sand of the bunkers from wind a little bit more, and so you're not displacing as much sand when the winds get kicked up. I I don't know if it ever gets that windy at Corica Park. Is to you it, other than pure aesthetics? Is there any other reason that a course like uh, Corica Park would choose to build? And by the way, am I saying it correctly when I say revetted? It's yeah, revetted. Okay, yeah. uh, like revetted bunkers. Like, is, is there really, other than aesthetics, a, a, a really good reason that a course in the Bay Area would implement those kinds of bunkers? Uh, I would say the reason to do them is because they're they're challenging and hard to get out of, and they make you think about, <laughs> no doubt, think twice about going in them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, which is, you know, kind of. Be somewhat surprised if they end up, uh, you know, doing that uh, there because it's going to be, you know, municipal and get a lot of play, and uh, you know, maybe it's only going to be a few of them here and there, or maybe they're not going to build the the whips quite as a uh, as as strong. Sure. Um. So that to me is like, you know, their their biggest redeeming quality uh, because, you know, with modern wedges you know with you know the perfect bounce and degree of loft and and uh you know, demands of you know perfectly raked sand i mean you can have deep bunkers these days but they're still easy to get out of <laughs> so it's like there's very few things that you can do to you know make a bunker hard enough that you actually want to think twice about it and uh revetting would be one of them Who'd have thought a, a hazard actually playing as a hazard? Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe maybe one of the you know benefits of this this whole uh, you know COVID nineteen thing is that uh, we get rid of bunker rakes and, and people accept uh, 
unmaintained bunkers and start, you know, thinking about avoiding them more. Oh, for sure. I mean, really, if that was the case, and it, I actually had uh, Garrett Morrison from the Friday gone to talk about an article that he wrote about that a few months ago about the benefits of doing, you know, the Pine Valley style, you know, no rakes and bunkers. And, mm -hmm. you know, for the amateur golfers in us, obviously, I think it'd be it would take a little adjusting to it. But I think overall, we'd probably get over it pretty easy because I think for a lot of amateurs, bunkers are pretty tough anyway, even with they're perfectly maintained. So if they were a little, mm -hmm. you know, if they were even extra tough, it, you're kind of just making something that was already challenging still just even a little more challenging where I would love to see the pros who are so good that if they have a nice line in the bunker, that's a much easier golf shot than it would be from the, almost from the middle of the fairway if they were, you know, 15 yards away from the from the green, where if you had the yeah. pros starting to come in some real shaky, uh, tough, tough lies and bunkers, I would love to see how those guys navigate it. So I, I'm with you. I, I'm yeah, hoping... That's what, that's what makes the the open championship so fun to watch you know they, they actually have to avoid those things it's it's a real half or full stroke penalty to to, to end up in them you know 100 yeah, percent. you see them with their you know one knee on the outside of the bunker and choked up halfway on the club and going out sideways it's yeah it's it's no joke yeah it, it's yeah no yeah absolutely so yeah it'll be very interesting to see what uh what shakes out there at uh at corica park um it's, you know it's kind of bunkers are going to be a little bit of a theme that we talk about here over the next uh, 20 or 30 minutes, Brett. So just, just brace yourself here, my friend. Um, so if you're going from revetted bunkers, uh, potentially at a course like uh, Corica Park here in the East Bay, um, if you go all the way up north, uh, certainly the most talked about and the most anticipated new golf course to open uh, on the West Coast in, in quite some time is still scheduled to take place this June uh, when the Sheep Ranch opens at you know the fifth 18-hole course at Bannon Dunes. And as almost everybody listening to this probably already knows, uh, they elected to not utilize, uh, I guess, sand bunkers and then, you know, instead chose to build all grass bunkers uh, on the golf course. What's what's some of your initial thoughts on on the Corin Crenshaw team doing something kind of wild and dramatic like that up there? Uh, my thoughts is, you know, one, you know, that's kind of cool and good for them. Uh <laughs> Uh, we kind of need a maybe a, a a push in a different direction. Yeah, for um, sure. uh, secondly, you know, it knowing that site a bit and the characteristics of it, uh, it, it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, it's kind of cliff top. It's a bit more heavy in 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 the soil up there uh, compared to you know, kind of the sandier spots of like Pacific and Bandon. Right. So, if you went ahead and you know, they, it wasn't just a matter of, you know, you dig out, you know, this landform or whatever, and oh, boom, yeah, there's, there's a sandy bunker just right there. Uh, you dig out and you've got kind of, you know, rocky clay or whatever it was, uh, which is not a sand bunker. <laughs> so instead of, you know, if you went ahead and put sand in those kind of depressions or landforms and you had it, you know, flashed up and try to mimic the same style, yeah, with the winds that come are so prevalent there, it's probably just going to blow away, and then you're left with just the you know the hard packed ground. Uh, so it it makes sense, uh, kind of what they did and and why they did it from a practical standpoint as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do do you think they ever considered using revetted bunkers to to try to minimize the impact of the wind? Because I I I don't think I don't know. Me, I, ever... I, I I can't uh, necessarily say that. I, yeah, I know. Uh, you know, Ben and Bill, they really prefer kind of a, a natural aesthetic. Uh, For sure. Um, so, and, you know, revetted bunkers, especially in their more, most uh, 
formal and refined form are you know, not not natural looking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, now here's my here's my follow up question to you. This is: Have you actually had an opportunity to see uh, the photographs? I, now, I'm basing this off my visit that I took to the sheep ranch uh, last December. So it's possible things could have changed, but I can't imagine it'd be too dramatically. But have you seen how they're going to be setting up the grass bunkers there in terms of how they're going to maintain them? Uh, I have not. It, you so, know, just I've just seen like a couple of pictures here and there, probably the same ones that most people have. Okay. I don't. I don't have the. I, I'll, I'll there's, actually, probably, there's some people I could reach out to for some inside info, uh, but I haven't yet. Okay, I'll, I'm going to send you some pictures when we're done recording, just to get your thoughts on this. But yeah, for, when I was there, essentially what they had been doing for a lot of the ones that were greenside is that the bottom of the bunker was still mown tight, like, you know, Lynx Fairway with, you know, nice tight lies. But the faces of the bunkers, they had actually grown out the grass a little bit. So essentially, in the grass bunker, you can't putt out of it and get it to get up on the green um, because you're going to go right through the rough. So it's actually going to force people to actually have to take out a wedge and hit a wedge off a really tight lie and basically jump up in, in elevation to the green, which my initial thought was, holy shit, that looks way more difficult than just a standard sand bunker does. Uh, and so and then I started thinking, like, man, is this going to actually, despite being yardage-wise a little shorter and, you know, not being on a, a huge piece of land, I think just the fact that the bunkers, if they keep them like this, this could end up being, for many amateur golfers, the most challenging golf course abandoned dunes simply because people are going to be forced to hit wedges off tight lies where... In any other link scenario, you're that close to the green, you'd never take a sandwich out from from that close to the green. So I, I, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? So what do you say that, that there's still if if it's as tight as fairway grass, are you saying that there's still like there's kind of like a hard defined like bunker edge uh, that it, you have to go through to get up to the green? Yeah. So it, so in in some of the ones that I saw, and again, I'll, I'll show you the uh, the pictures that I'm talking about. But yeah, it it almost yeah. looked like there was like a bunker you know, kind of dug out in the traditional sense. Yeah. But and that's, it, that's kind of what I've seen too, yeah. that the, they, they kind of like basically shaped the bunker, but then just, you know, hydro seeded it, you know, with the you know, fine fescue. Exactly. And that they're just going to kind of, you know, let it grow. That, I think that's exactly it. And originally I thought that the whole bunker, the grass might be a little bit longer. So it all would be kind of like rough. So it'd be challenging, but it almost, now that I saw it, it almost makes more sense and does seem more challenging uh, to have the tight lies in the bottom where the sand would, you know, in a type of bunker where maybe you have grass face and the, and the sand, flat sand at the bottom, you have the tight turf at the bottom, but with some longer fescue grass growing in the face, so you can't actually put the ball on the ground between the base of the yeah. bunker and up to the putting surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's going to be an ass kicker for a lot of people. That's, I, I wonder if that's... Do you know for sure that they're going to maintain that at fairway height, or is it just because it just looked that way nope, and I, it's just I, starting to grow yeah, in? I, I don't know that for sure. I just know that's yeah. how they had been maintained when I got a chance to go up and see it. Um, so it, it will be pretty interesting. It, they had you, actually mowed it? They had actually mowed it, yes. Yes, oh, at the wow. bottoms of the bunkers. So I, I, that, that could be really interesting. Really uh, interesting. I, it would, yeah, because I, I kind of just, you know, the pictures I saw, I thought, you know, they were just going to kind of let it grow, you know, However, and just let it be kind of wispy, uh, you know, sparse, sparse-ish, fine fescue, and uh, you never know what kind of lie you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but actually mowing it tight, it, you know, that, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, rye in England, but they have uh, what they call uh, kind of the rye brows there. These hmm. little just, uh, 
you know, like typical links, you know, falling off the green is really tight turf and sure. contours. But at Rye, they have these kind of little ledges that are, you know, maybe like five, six inches high. Just these with the formalized by, by wood. And they force you to have to hit over it. Uh, you can't you can't putt like you normally have right. the option to. You have to either bump one just over the the edge, or you have to uh, you know take a wedge and just fly it to the hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, 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 it kind of sounds like that similar. might be a similar thing uh, yeah. uh, up there, which would be really cool. Really cool. And uh, you know, from our last conversation when we did a podcast a couple years ago, you know, I was kind of asking you like you know trying to figure out why so many golf courses are removing bunkers uh, and. You know, you, you very obviously pointed out to me that it's almost always a, a cost and a maintenance thing, and that bunkers are generally, you know, pretty expensive to maintain um, compared to a lot of other places on a golf course. And this, it, it kind of got my mind racing, thinking, is this a, a really cool and equally challenging, if not more so, alternative to bunkers around a green that we could start seeing more golf courses implementing? Could be. I mean, that's something that I've been racking my brain with the last couple of years. Uh, is like, you know, what is an alternative type of hazard to bunkers? Cause you know, we've kind of talked about it, but you know, they, they are expensive to maintain. And also they, for, at least for a good type of player, they don't really even exact that much of a penalty. Yeah. Um, you know, it really all it does to, is just widen the gap between the good player and the, and the weaker player. Right. Um, so, so what else is there? Uh, what else can we do? And that's this could be you know, one of those sort of alternatives. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, I can't. I can't remember who I was talking to on a podcast when I had brought it up. But you know, at uh, is it North? Is it North Berwick? The the golf the course that basically has the green that's kind of hidden behind the stone yeah, wall. North uh, Berwick. Yeah, North Berwick. Excuse me. Um, I mean, I, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of sites people build golf, build golf courses on nowadays that just have just super killer sort of old stone walls kind of built through them that they elect to keep. But I, and I, I think it would probably be not well received if a, if a golf course were to actually build like a stone wall like that to be part of a golf course design. But mm-hmm. I, I personally would love to see it if somehow, some way there was some of that quirk that people love about, you know, Scotland yeah. and Ireland so much implemented and, and a hazard, as you're saying, trying to find alternative hazards. I mean, isn't something kind of like a stone wall that you just have to kind of hit a little pitch over? Isn't that, almost exactly what kind of golf over in this part of the world kind of needs to give it that sort of that funky kind of like adventurous feeling that you get when you, when you're playing golf over in that part of the world. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I, I think so. A, a lot of the, a lot of the golf here is pretty kind of just monotonous and yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't involve a lot of thought. doesn't really engage your mind or the senses that much. And uh, yeah, we could use more of that. I'm not necessarily saying uh, let's build a stone wall in right. any course. It's... Right. Well, I did see on, on a blog post that you had made, Brett, that you had kind of been talking a little bit about uh, like alternatives to bunkers and hazards. Uh, besides like a stone yeah. wall, have you come up with anything else or in, in studying architecture and, and looking to other examples? Have, have you come up with any ideas of things that architects could use to possibly implement as alternatives uh, to, to sand bunkers in, in terms of hazards? Uh, yeah, thanks for referencing that. And, uh, and, By the way, and everybody, check, check out that blog. It, it is really awesome. Really, really awesome. But I, 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 I apologize. I, I'm going to stop interrupting you. I'm just going to let you do your thing. <laughs> no, I, I, and I've actually got a kind of uh, – I've got a follow-up that's been marinating in my head uh, to that. And 
kind of alludes to some of the stuff that we've been talking about. Sure. Uh, you know, that one's mostly about aesthetics and the follow-up is about, you know, actual playability and, and, uh, you know, you know, how much do they matter and, <laughs> uh, what, what else could we do? Right. Which is kind of what we're talking about right now. Um, I, I sort of just think that, yeah, the number one thing would be, um, kind of either getting, the, the the walls of the bunker a, a lot more steep kind of going to more of like a really steep grass face that um is hard to get uh get your shot over you know whether it's revetted or just just the steep ground mm-hmm. um you know maybe longer wispy grass uh kind of snags your ball up you end up with a really awkward lie that's probably uh even even more difficult than uh than a bunker shot you know, sure it kind of just goes back to like a lot of you know courses you find sort of in the northeast, uh, a lot of Ross and you know some Tillinghast uh, mm-hmm. you know, courses uh, over there, uh, Rainer, McDonald, all those, uh, as well as some other funkier stuff. Um, you know, there's really uh yeah in that in that uh, you know, piece that you mentioned you know, on my site, there's some like funny like you know sharp old like kind of berm like cops here and there uh with long grass on them you know, you can place those in between a green and you know, if you miss on the wrong side you have to hit up and over them uh, or you might even get snagged in them uh, um, honestly uh, uh one of my uh sort of colleagues uh, one of tom uh tom doke's associates brian schneider he's been doing some of that work uh you know, some of the stuff I was sort of envisioning, uh, at a place called Lanark in Philadelphia, Hmm. really, uh, really sharp, dramatic trench like bunkers, uh, kind of like just some odd, like winding, uh, cops here and there, uh, out in the, you know, in between holes and sharp, uh, you know, kind of chocolate drop mounds here and there. It's, it's really, really interesting kind of, uh, you know, Victorian era work, but in a bit more of a, you know, creative fashion. Uh, so I'm, I'm a really big fan of what he and, uh, uh, Blake Conan have done over there, uh, who's been helping them out with the shaping. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. What was like, I'm, I'm trying to, is that what you were referring to in, in your, uh, your story that you wrote for those really kind of funky landforms? I think some of them used to be at Shinnecock, I think is what I remember. Yeah. Seeing. Yeah. There was a, yeah. It's Shinnecock and, uh, uh, another course in uh, England that they kind of had like those. Uh, it like some really that, that one gnar- was hilarious. Like, Dude, it, it almost like, looked, it, looked like, like a huge turd. Like yeah, it looks like the swirly poo emoji. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, yeah, I just I, I, I was thinking to myself, and I don't know if it was I was watching like a travel video on like Scottish or uh, some sort of Scottish links course, but I remember seeing like a hazard that wasn't necessarily a hazard, but like you know maybe I think it was like sixty yards in front of the green. There was just a line of just kind of mounds that were not mowed, you know, not mowed tight. They were just kind of mounds that were maybe four feet tall in like a straight line kind of right across most of the hole where it just essentially at some point it forced you to kind of at least put the ball up in the air a little bit. But almost more than anything else, it just kind of it it messed with you visually because it it made it a lot more challenging to kind of get your depth perception down and kind of see how far you had. And I wonder is. Is something like that uh, as simple as just basically allowing some weird mounds 
in the middle of a golf hole that aren't mowed down tight? Is is that something you see as like a, a quote-unquote hazard that could be easily implemented uh, to more courses around here? Or do you think the American golfer would see that and just kind of get annoyed? <laughs> um, or maybe it's both. Uh, uh, yeah, po- po- yeah, it might be both. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, the uh, change, especially in golf, kind of takes a while. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, that is that is an alternative. It's a, a way of doing things, uh, and it's really simple and easy to do. Uh, a lot of this, as I mentioned, uh, really old, kind of pre-Golden Age uh, courses um, would sort of do that. And a number of them, it was kind of really, you know, almost too formal and geometric and and kind of just rigid in uh, in their structure but you know you could do some of that stuff you know uh and using some of the more you know strategic principles of the golden age uh kind of arranging it a bit more randomly but uh doing kind of that some of that funky sort of sharp odd work that looked like it was just you know done with a couple of shovels and do it in a creative way that Im- imposes a strategic ta- challenge. It, it would be a lot of fun and, and kind of a, a change of pace from, you know, a lot of what we see, yeah. Yeah. including kind of like the, what some are calling like the neoclassical movement, uh, you know, a lot of the, the new age minimalism or, you know, naturalism that that's been going on for the last 20 years with corn Crenshaw and Doak and Hans and all that. Right. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Well, Hey, if we're going to jump back on track, speaking of Doak, let's let's jump into another one here. Um, in the Bay Area, uh, another new kind of project that is still very much in the the early stages, and it's you know, whether or not it actually ends up getting built is still you know still remains to be seen. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Tom Doak has it, it's been revealed that uh, has been involved in a project up uh, kind of on the border of Lake and Napa counties uh, in the Northeast Bay Area. Uh, on a project where he's been, you know, hopefully he gets to design an 18-hole golf course. Uh, but one of the things I thought was really interesting, and again, it kind of keeps with that theme of something that's just kind of out of the ordinary uh, when it comes to golf design, is that he's going to, you know, supposedly going to be designing a golf course that starts in one place and ends in another place, like somewhat far away. And I, I know this certainly has been done before, but, you know, to have a golf course that starts in one location and then the 18th green is, you know, two miles away. Um, I, I've never gotten to play a golf course like that before. And so, I, I don't know, do, do you have any experience or have you ever been to a golf course that is set up like that? Uh, the only one I, yeah, have experienced like that is a, actually another one of Tom's, though it's to a much lesser uh, extent. Uh, uh, Dismal River doesn't uh, finish up where it starts. Oh, okay. Uh, Though it's really, it's only like, you know, it, if you play in a direct line from one to the other, it's like two holes away, like okay. two par fours. Okay. So it's not super dramatic, but uh, it gave Tom the, the freedom and flexibility uh, in his routing to, to make it that much better. This one, though, is a, it sounds like it's on a much more extreme, you know, uh, <laughs> scale. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple miles away, as you, as, as you say. Uh, which will be pretty interesting. Um, and I think uh, you know, Tom is so good at routing courses, uh, it's probably for the best that uh, <laughs> they've given him that leeway. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it's probably, 
you know, it might be his most dramatic sight ever as far as elevation change goes. And that'll probably allow him to uh, traverse it in a way that's much more doable. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if it's going to require carts or not because of the dramatic terrain, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, hopefully it doesn't. And hopefully you're, you're actually able to walk it. That I mean, that would be fantastic. I mean, maybe, yeah, I know, maybe I, I'm sure he, he's shooting for that at, at the very least. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe he's doing it that way. So it's always kind of playing level or downhill. Cause I, I think in the other podcast, we just recorded that one of Mackenzie's tenants is you never want people to, to be, you know, be hiking straight uphill, yeah. right. Or, or something yeah. along those lines. Maybe it's it, this is just the way that he was able to. Mm-hmm. The only way he was able to keep that intact was just to have it. Yeah. You know, it, who knows if this course does end up getting built, I will be fascinated uh, to see. Uh, yeah, um, I keep bugging him to uh, to let me come out on you know whenever one of his site visits, and he just keeps kind of answering my other questions without that one. <laughs> uh, so we'll yeah, see. I'm, I'm, I, I I hope to come check it, go yeah. check it out and. Maybe even get the, you know, help contribute to it. That, that would be really cool too. No, absolutely. And uh, I don't know. Do you, do you get the sense that uh, Tom Doak is in the the phase of his career where he's now looking to take on any project he can that allows him to just try something new? Because it it sounds like the the course that he's been commissioned to build at Sand Valley is certainly going to be a little <laughs> bit different in that it's going to be a shorter course. You know, something more reminiscent of what you see kind of in Europe and that are really fun, but you know, yeah. maybe only 62, 6,300 yards, which mm-hmm. I, personally I think the world needs more of. Um, Definitely, especially this day and age. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, something like this where he's starting in one location, finishing the other, I, I think it might've been on uh, some sort of golf website and kind of where people were leaving comments that is he just in like the, you know, fuck it phase of his career. He's like, I just want to do something crazy and new. <laughs> like, I, I, but he's so talented that obviously he could get away with it. But, uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's fun to see someone like you know in his position, just like let's just try, let's just mix it up. It's, it, it kind of it kind of goes along well, with yeah, what we're saying. His creative uh, juices and desires are kind of always going, and yeah, he's he's always sort of had you know, a lot of these ideas uh, have really been marinating in the back of his head for you know like decades. <laughs> like he had wanted to do a reversible course for for a long time, like twenty, thirty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just waiting for the client and the and the site to be able to do it. Yeah. So. Uh, By the uh, way, ha- have you had a chance to op- uh, have you seen uh, the loop? Uh, have you been out to visit it yet, or have you seen? It I have. It? Yeah, I I went uh, back uh, his uh, company tournament that he holds every year, the mm-hmm. the Renaissance Cup. I was fortunate to get an invite to that one. Uh, so I went back and and I got to play it both ways and hang out there for a couple of days. Nice. It was really cool. What you what did uh, you think? It was awesome. Uh, I really liked it a lot, and it 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 really works. Uh, uh, what I like is that uh, you know St Andrews, it's obvious. Uh, you know, it's all kind of connected there. It kind of goes out in one way and comes back mm-hmm. the same way. Actually, it used to only just be like one hole, and they just played it. You know, one one hole out and and back. You just played to the same green in one direction. It wasn't like the two sides. Uh, but you know, the way Tom did it. Uh, you know, at the loop is, you know, he kind of had it going in different directions and actually like looping around, uh, which is pretty cool. Like changing directions and all that. Yeah. No, that sounds uh, great. Oh man. Yeah. I, I have to go see with my own two eyes and play it because uh, I, I want to be able to compare it, uh, to see, you know, how many similarities and how many differences there was with, uh, Sylvie's Valley ranch up in Eastern Oregon, which I, you know, was yeah, which I, to play. 
I will have to go check that place out too. It's it's wild, man. <clears throat> just, just FYI, I I may or may not be putting a trip together for uh, some select individuals next year when hopefully we're we're allowed to go out and travel again. <laughs> that may that may involve Sylvie. So I will uh, when we get off the podcast, maybe we'll have to share a little bit of info. See if you can't uh, yes, please can't join do. us for that one. Um, but yeah, I mean Sylvie's though is weird because I think it's got twenty seven greens. Yeah, and, it's and, not and, like truly reversible. No. It's just kind of like has a yeah. You, yeah. you kind of pick and choose a, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think of like a, of the eighteen holes for one way, you probably play you know the hole in reverse for twelve of those, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Twelve or thirteen, and then like each each of the routings actually has like a cup, a handful of holes that are just for that when the routing goes that way. It's very very interesting. Uh, wild project up there. I, again, I, I don't know if it's practical for anywhere else to do it like that, but uh, certainly it's cool that it that exists out there. Um, it does. Uh, what a cool looking place too. It, dude, it's the history of all of it. And... It's very groovy. Um, very very groovy. Yeah, we'll we'll have to talk more about that one. Yeah. Uh, a little later on, but um, shit. If we're gonna just uh, if we're gonna be moving north uh, to Sylvie's, might as well keep moving a little bit further north. Uh, we talked about Sheep Ranch. Talked about the new course of Corica, uh, Maha, which is the name of the Tom Doak course in Lake County. Um, let, let let's go all the way up north before we come back to Lake. Um, at Gamble Sands. Uh, which is you know a David McKay kid eighteen hole course and sort of a newer an, another one of the destination kind of links you know fescue f- firm and fast kind of golf resorts that have become uh, so popular you know in the Sand Valley Bannon mold um, David McKay kid is now building a par three course up there uh, for resort guests to enjoy but the way they're going to set it up is he's basically got I I don't know exactly how many acres Brett but essentially he's just building twelve or fourteen green sites that are going to be scattered around. You know, Odyssey golf style, but um, to make sure that they can have more than one group out there playing at a time, they're basically going to just pick and choose the routing for nine holes each day, or nine to 11 holes each day, mm-hmm. and just have it play a little bit differently. Um, I, I can't imagine there's not already something like that out there, but I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head. Is this is this a uh, a course concept or an idea that you've seen put into, put, put into practice anywhere else? Well, uh, yes. On a bigger scale and a smaller scale. Okay. Uh, the bigger scale would be the kind of a place we already talked about the uh, the sheep ranch, but the original version. The original of sheep it. ranch, yeah. sure. Yeah, which you know has thirteen greens and a bunch of kind of wide corridors that uh, uh, you know you were able to just kind of pick and choose whichever direction you wanted to go. Yeah. And, and the smaller scale end of it is the ladies putting course or the Himalayas at, at St. Andrews right? where, you know, they had just this really undulating ground kind of next to, uh, the second tee that, uh, you know, they never had any golf, you know, the main golf going through it, but, uh, kind of just was really interesting ground, big rumbly tumbling kind of landforms. Uh, and they decided to kind of just make it a, a putting course out of it, and they they change where the hole is and the direction you go every day. Yeah, it's never quite the same. I think the the punch bowl at Bandon uh, does the same thing, right? They do. They do. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. yep but I uh, haven't seen a, a a par three course that that does it quite the same. Maybe the uh, maybe the horse course up at the. Uh, ah. In, okay. Uh, I've, yeah, I've, in, I've never been, but I've I've heard great things about the horse course. Yeah. Yeah. Up in uh, the sand hills, uh, not. Not at Sandhills, but uh, the other uh, in another part of the Nebraska Sandhills. Yeah. yeah, not not Dismal River, the but Prairie uh, Dunes, or uh, 
no, no. Yeah. Is, no, is not it close by there? Um, yeah. So, something like that. I, again, I, I, I can't I, believe it's a. It, it's, it's probably slipping my uh, no, you're, my you're mind okay. right now because it was the one place that we didn't uh, go to uh, okay. when when I was uh, or have time to go to when I was uh, working there yep. at Dismal. So. Interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I'm fascinated, man. I, I cannot wait. I think uh, I, I'm still scheduled to go back up to Gamble Sands this October. Granted, uh, before the the COVID epidemic hit, I uh, I, w- I was supposed to be there this past weekend, uh, and I was going to get a little update and kind of check and see what kind of progress they were making. But uh, it does appear that uh, David Kidd, you know, has been on site uh, with just one, you know, a couple other associates, and they've still been working. And so I think it might be ready for some tentative preview play by the end of this golf season. And then uh, they're thinking that it's going to be fully ready to rock and roll uh, for the start of the, the 2021 golf season when uh, they open at the beginning of April. So that's that one's going to be high on the list of, uh, of things to check out cool. as well. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, sounds like it could be really fun. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and speaking of fun, let's, let's come right back down south here. Brett, this is the last one of the new builds that I kind of just wanted to get your uh, opinion on. And that is uh, Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw, you know, two of the the biggest names in, in golf course architecture and design um, did the routing for a golf course that's not far from that dope course we talked about uh, up in Middletown in Lake mm-hmm. County um, it, it sounds like they're uh, and they're and the project manager James Duncan are, are creating a cool little private golf club uh, that is going to be walking only um, I can't imagine it's going to be anything less than spectacular um, I, I, I don't know have you heard anything about the the brambles project that's going on up in Lake County uh, yes, I have. I, I've talked to James uh, a fair bit about it. Uh, I haven't actually gone out on site with him there yet, uh, but you know, I'm, it's, it's something that I'm hoping to uh, be a part of in some capacity. Yeah. But it, it just sounds like you know, a really cool uh, whole idea, just a, a really good vibe type place. Yep. And, and the property for it is really good, too. Like, it's you know, the opposite of uh, the Dokes course, which yeah. is going to be, you know, up in, you know, the hills and playing over and around them. And, you know, this just kind of sits down in, in a nice kind of broad, gentle valley. And uh, it's really nice spot to just go out and, and you know, knock it around. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be great. And I actually got a chance to briefly talk with the, uh, the owner um, uh, of the Brambles Project and, he just seemed like such a cool guy. And, you know, for him, his main motivation in doing this is that he just wanted to build a really, really good golf course. And, and he's like, and that's pretty much the, 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 that that's the genesis and the nexus of everything they're doing. It's like, I just want to build a really great walking golf course. Cause, it's and, awesome. And I, I mean, as somebody that builds golf courses for a living, I mean, isn't that yeah, kind of a dream in, for, in terms of like you know, someone to work for? Uh, on my side of things, yeah, that's that's absolutely perfect. Like you just, all you care about is the quality of the golf and just making it interesting and fun and, you know, walkable is a great thing too. And as opposed to having, you know, other, you know, motivations getting in the way of real estate development or turning a profit and, you know, all the other, you know, less fun things. <laughs> yeah. So the stuff that does not uh, get the imagination uh, fired up quite as, yeah. yeah. No, that's uh, that's wild, man. So, anyway, uh, I would say, Brett. I mean, you're obviously more plugged into this stuff than I am. Is there any other projects that you've heard about that are being built on the West Coast right now that uh, that seem exciting that, that that I forgot to mention? Mm, not as far as new builds go. No. Okay, uh, not that I know of. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, because the other one I mentioned in my article yeah. was obviously their Tiger Woods was rehired or was hired, excuse me, uh, to redesign the, yeah. the Peter Hay uh, little par three course at Pebble Beach. I have no idea how that's going to turn out, but I, I yeah, I'll keep my fingers crossed yeah. that it could be good. Probably be better than what they had before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is for sure. Although I, I am curious about what the aesthetic is going to be because um, from the work that I've seen Tiger do so far, both at the the course that he built down in Texas, I think it's called Blue Jack National. Um, and then the course that he designed at the Big Cedar Lodge, uh, mm-hmm. the Tiger courses definitely have a very specific aesthetic to them. Uh, honestly, he kind of seems like he sort of likes to build Augusta-like golf courses with the way that he shapes his bunkers and uh, has the tight grass around all the greens. And um, I don't know. Do, do you yeah, think? That, yeah, a little bit so far. Yeah. Do, do, um, do you think that same? Do you anticipate that same sort of aesthetic being implemented into the course that he's going to design at uh, at Pebble? Uh, probably not, I, but, but I don't know. I'm just, this is just a hundred percent speculation. Oh, yeah. this, this, this is where we get to wildly uh, speculate without consequences. I, I, no, I, I think they'll probably do something that kind of mimics the, you know, the, you know, the big fella, uh, right next door. So I, I think it'll probably be a bit, you know, bunkers a bit more in that style, maybe a little shaggy on the edge or, you know, I yeah. think they'll, they'll mimic it a little bit, but yep. That makes perfect sense. Well, actually that, that, that that's a perfect little segue here. Yeah, maybe they'll do something different. Who knows? Yeah, well, this is actually a perfect little segue because I was mentioning how the courts that I've seen Tiger build so far seem to kind of mimic Augusta in the way that the bunkers are shaped. And yeah. and it reminded me in, of a, of a, another great uh, blog post or story article that you had written uh, on your website that was kind of about, you know, bunker aesthetics and, you know, is the the movement in the last, you know, decade plus to these more naturally, you know, I think you had it, typed as quote frilly edge uh but kind of natural looking bunkers and i know personally for me brett like i i almost kind of just wish every golf course had a more of a natural kind of bunker <laughs> style just because to me it just suits my eye a lot more it gives me the feeling yeah. of being in nature quite a bit more um but there's certainly arguments to be made that a, a large variety um of different you know aesthetics and the ways that bunkers are shaped uh could be you know good or you know people view it as, as being the preferred way they'd like their golf courses to look and I, I thought this would be a great opportunity for someone like you who knows so much more than i do about what what you've seen in the industry in terms of the desire for what that people want bunkers to look like specifically you know owners and, and developers and kind of what their the aesthetic they're looking for um if their golf course is getting renovated or you know one's getting built from scratch and so i was hoping you might be able to share with me kind of what you you've noticed as a, a, a trend going on in this and you know you feel free to cite or reference in your your article as much as possible because this is something i've just been fascinated with and i don't understand why every golf course that had the option to switch to this more natural look why they wouldn't do it but i know that's purely subjective on my part so like, i kind of wanted to get your take on all this yeah well, as far as like the, the trend thing goes i mean as with anything there's usually kind of uh you know, a, a leader who wants to sort of do something different, and uh, and then there's probably you know a lot of followers behind that. Um, you know, right now I would say it would, with the aesthetic that you're talking about, the kind of natural frilly edge type thing, uh, you know, it was kind of started by uh, you know Doak and his team and uh, Corey Crenshaw and their guys. Uh, kind of kind of like back in you know maybe the in, in the late 90s and you know, beyond that and you know they really played it up with their you know sites that they were kind of gifted with too 
Um, and you know, that kind of caught on and, and has, and a lot of people kind of follow that and, you know, myself included yep. in, in, in some of the you know, work I've done. Uh, but a lot of it goes back to, uh, you know, they're just, they were just going back to, they were drawing inspiration from like McKenzie guys stuff, like, right? yeah, McKenzie and, uh, and, and George Thomas and Billy Bell, uh, like, uh, Doak and, and Gil Hans, who was his, uh, intern at the time, took a trip out West to, uh, to study all the, the bunkers of McKenzie and, and, and Thomas before doing, uh. Uh, Black Forest and and then Stonewall uh, to get some inspiration to do something different because you know nobody was doing that really at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually they got they would go on to get better at it. And guys like Jeff Bradley would come in and you know uh, for Corn Crenshaw and Iverson and Schneider and Slonick and you know those guys for uh, for Doak and Renaissance. And uh, yeah, it, it caught on, got popular, and it's. It's hard to argue with it in a lot of cases. It's you know, it, it's a really, it's a really attractive, you know, striking style, especially when done right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is is there a proper like name for it? I, I, I again, uh, we mentioned it kind of like frilly edged. Uh, I mean, yeah, the not, the not different... really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and I've you know, I've kind of done it uh, a bit, maybe with a, a fewer sort of. Uh, capes and bays and stuff is like Mackenzie or Thomas, uh, maybe a bit simpler in form, but still kind of keeping the, you know, a bit of the edge movement and kind of the texture with the, the fine fescue and all that too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a big part of that, you know, reason we've done it at, at places like, you know, Arinda and, you know, uh, Santa Ana and Satikoy is that it really kind of fits the regional context and historical context of mm-hmm. California right. and that sort of Mackenzie Thomas aesthetic, um, which, you know, in turn also really works because of the topography and how much, you know, the movement of the Hills, it's, it's easy that having a, a, a flash face bunker just built into them. It, it really kind of just, it works well. And having kind of more the ragged, jagged edge really fits well with the, you know, kind of rugged topography and texture that we find uh, here in in the state. So so it works that way. So then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to kind of do it. Yeah. At the same time, I've kind of also, you know, I've got like a bit of a creative hunger to do something a, a bit different too. Sure. Sure. Um, and that's pretty natural, right? Like, even though, like, for me, I love the natural look of the bunkers. At some point, I'm almost like, just for the sake of variety, I almost want to see something different. Yeah. Even though I'd almost prefer if the majority yeah. of golf courses look the way that you're referring to, it, it is still nice to get a little bit of yeah. reference. But, yeah, man, it's it's, it's tough. You know, the grass is always greener, I guess, on the other side. But yeah, at the same time, like, you know, that's kind of within the context of what's been done, you know, in the, you know, design and redesign industry of the last, you know, 15 plus years or whatever. But that volume of courses relative to the overall volume of courses is still pretty low. So, you know, in the context of golf overall, you know, we still could use more of that. Yeah. Uh, aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what what, what would you consider to be like the, the opposite of like the, and I guess if if we're looking for a natural aesthetic, 
is the most manufactured. Like, what's the example of the most kind of unnatural looking bunkers that you see? It, would it be something like Augusta? Uh, or would it be something more like you know, those? Bit, like, I would say it's more like, like some trench of the... bunkers or something like that. I wouldn't say those. I mean, because both of those types have redeeming qualities in their own right. I would say it's like the real, like, cookie cutter, this bunker was designed in CAD uh, (laughs) type of bunker that came about in, like, all these, like, you know, kind of, like, 90s, uh, uh, you know, housing development courses. Yeah. Where it's just all the curves of them are, you know... They have perfect tangents. Uh, <laughs> there's not much depth to them. They tie into very broad, kind of overly smoothed out sort of landforms, or they don't even tie into those, right? Because they're just following the CAD plan. Yep. Those are the worst offenders to me. Yeah. They affect um, all my sensibilities. They 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 really do. But you know something like uh, you know a trench bunker, uh, like Ross you know, Donald Ross reviews or, you know, so a lot of like the classic kind of Northeast or Midwest courses, those, those still have a lot of character in themselves. And they also inflict a lot of sort of, uh, you know, punishment for finding them. And, you know, that, you know, adds a lot of, uh, sort of strategic merit. You know, you want to avoid them. Uh, the ones that are really done well, they, you know, that look like they were built with, you know, shovel and whatever else and rake. They're they're cool. They have they have a a, a character under themselves. Uh, going to Augusta, you know that there are a couple of them that I I admit that I do like, and they uh, it funny enough like some of them like from opposite angles I like even more than what's presented. But yeah, you know, I think there's a way to do that sort of Augusta style, um, and just a bit better version of it, I guess, uh, and break up the kind of top line a little bit more, add a bit more edge depth. Uh, and you know what? Those, those would look really good and they, they'd work just fine. Uh, you know, especially for that site, everything else is prim and proper and it, it, it could work for there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's a, is, are they more, I guess for, from a maintenance standpoint, cause I know that is obviously plays a huge role in all this. And, uh, we had talked before about how, yeah. Something obviously the more simple it is, probably the less maintenance that it requires. Um, I, is there a big comparison? Because I don't know. Is it like McDonald Rainer course is kind of where it's all like grass face and it's usually just you know flat sand at the bottom. I know Pete Dye. That was kind of something I, I feel like I saw on his golf yeah. courses a lot as well. Is something like that where it's just sand in the bottom and the grass is you know the face of the bunkering is in the grass. Is that easier to to maintain as opposed to something that actually where the the sand flashes up and is viewable from you know. 150 plus yards away well i mean it really kind of depends on um, on your client and uh sort of the preference of the superintendent it's kind of almost something uh, you know i go in and ask you know, whoever i know is going to be maintaining it especially if i think they're kind of younger and really good at what they're going to do and they're going to be around for a long time mm-hmm. you know kind of ask them you know because it's it's a bit of a pick your poison type thing yeah. um yeah, with the, the the sand flash faces, uh, you know, you are more susceptible to to uh, washouts and having to push the sand back up. And if you do kind of an intricate edge with them, you have to do a lot of kind of uh, 
you know, string trimming with a weed whacker or whatever around the edge to keep them from getting too crazy. It's not an everyday thing, but, you know, every couple of weeks you got to go in and, and uh, keep them in check. So there's that. Hmm. Um, but with like a grass face bunker, uh, you know, yeah, it's easier to rake the bottoms. You know, maybe in some of them you might be able to run a machine through them. Um, but, you know, then you have the grass face to deal with. You know, do you have to fly mow it? Um, or do you have to uh, string trim the whole thing? There, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, a mowing component. If, uh, you know, you're in a climate where it's hot and humid, like the, the Midwest or the Northeast and grass, you know, it really grows with a frequency. Uh, you got to keep it, uh, to keep it playable. You got to mow it a bit more frequently. You got to get in there versus you know, the, the West where you could kind of just let it go and you don't have to, you have a bit more control over the amount of irrigation and growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so much to it. It's just, uh, but the bottom line is if, if, if you want to have bunkers of any sort of kind of interest with character and steepness and you know, sharpness and, you know, artistic flair, you, know, you kind of have to have some sort of, you're, you're going to want to have some element of kind of like more uh, hand maintenance you know, whether it's through the mowing or the raking or, um, versus, you know, the, those cookie cutter bunkers that you can just go, you know, drop a, a, a trap rake and drive around in circles in and you're good. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. Ah, man, it's wild. Um, all right. So let's just change topics here real quick. And unfortunately, Britt, I'm having such a good time. I've kind of lost track of time that, uh, we, we, yeah. might, have to, we, we, we might have to wrap this thing up pretty soon, but w- there's a couple items on here that, I absolutely want to talk about one of them. I feel like we may not have the time to really give it the the time it deserves. So maybe we'll table that one the next time we get a chance to talk. But I yeah. did want to bring up um, uh, what you've been writing about lately. And it's just so cool. I found it so fascinating. I saw that you came out with part three yesterday. I'm really excited to jump in and read that later. But um, you, you've been kind of on your blog detailing the story from about a decade ago uh, about a, you know, a, a journey, a, a sojourn of sorts that you took out to the the isles you know of uh of western scotland uh specifically to a place called askernish which i had heard of but really didn't know anything about before reading um you know kind of your story recalling the whole account so i I just wanted to briefly ask you about it and hope you kind of share with uh, the listeners kind of what you're you're working on and what your story's about and uh, because i want to try to encourage as many people as possible to go and read it because it's just uh it's a really fascinating look uh into you know the history of golf out there, kind of how architects like yourself sort of operate, and when it comes to trying to possibly restore something, I, the, the whole thing I just find to be absolutely fascinating. So, do you mind sharing with everybody just kind of what uh, your asking your story is kind of uh, all about? Oh, sure, yeah, and I, I appreciate you reading and bringing it to light. And uh, yeah, so I just you know set out you know, with the sort of free time or at least non on site time uh, <laughs> that I have right now. Uh, yeah, I've been, I'm, I'm a nostalgic person, uh, by nature. Uh, so I've been, you know, thinking back, it's been 10 years since I, I took this trip out there and I wanted to write about it on the site. Originally it was going to just put it all in the, you know, one long piece and then realized, oh, I got to break this up. Uh, so then I was like, okay, I'll do it in three pieces and now it's going to end up being five. Come on. Uh, you, so you could, you could, <laughs> you can write a 20,000 word blog post, right? <laughs> I probably could, but I shouldn't. 
no one wants to read that. They're long enough as it is. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to read things in 280 characters or less these days. Oh, man. Um, no, no, it, it, it's fantastic. And, and five parts sounds great. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I will try not to cut you off. I'm just getting too excited. So, yeah, it, it was a place that I had been very interested in. Uh, you know, I'm just, as you know, I'm very much an old school guy and I'm really fascinated with the, the origins of golf. Uh, you know, a couple of bored shepherds uh, knocking a couple of rocks around out in a field. Um, yeah, and that, that spirit of adventure uh, that, that they sort of had you know, in those early days. And, you know, what must that original ground been like? And what the, must of those original experiences been like? And fortunately now, we sort of have that in, in this place called Askernish. Um, you know, as, um, I get to in, in the story, it's, it's, uh, played out over, uh, common grazing land, uh, that they call the, the mocker, uh, whole Gallic word. Uh, I, yeah. Is it maher? Maher. Maher. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I got to work on that. Yeah. That, that re bunkers I got to work for, on. Uh, for, for, for simple you know, American English. <laughs> maher. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it's just, yeah, the, the natural it, occurring ground out there and is, uh, just these big heaving dunes that are nibbled down by, by the grazing sheep and cattle and, and all the, all the rabbits. And you actually, you know, with that and, you know, the type of climate up there and the sandy soil, like it grows at such a slow rate that, you have naturally existing golf ground and turf. Like there are other spots. Yeah. Yes. They, they mow it down. They refound the golf course. I'll, I'll get back to the history a bit more in a second, but they refound the golf course and they simply just mowed it down. But there were spots where a couple of the greens that they found, they said, yeah, we could have just played on it right then and there. And there are other there so are locations out there on that ground, a mocker where you can, you could just, cut a hole in it and play shots into it and, and putt. It's, 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 it's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's just so fascinating to me and, and just amazing that in this modern day we can go back and experience that. Yeah. Which is why. And so like, how, how did you guys find, I mean, obviously Linksland over there is somewhat common. What, what was so special about Askernish and, and what, what prompted you uh, and a group of other folks to actually make your way all the way out there? Cause it's not, this is not an easy place to get to from, you know, some of the more yeah. metropolitan areas of Scotland, is it not? No, definitely not. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I get I get fully into that and, and what the, the journey entailed, which is amazing in itself. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the trip was actually uh, sponsored by the RNA. Uh, um, I was over there studying. I was at a small uh, turf school in uh, St. Andrews after I graduated, uh, you know, undergrad over here, just doing a year program there, uh, you know, one to kind of hone my skills, uh, and understanding of greenkeeping, but also to just be over there and, you know, study all the great links. Um, so part of it through the school, uh, the RNA, um, had this program available for, uh, you know, their, uh, scholars to go over 
to Askernish for for a week, and they had a, a number of activities and learning sort of sessions, seminars um, tailored to it uh, uh, throughout the the week. Um, so as soon as I heard that, I you know they didn't even have to explain the rest of it. I just heard Askernish, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> when is it? Let's go. Yep. Because at that point, was was it pretty common knowledge that there may or may not have been a course that existed out there at some point? Or, or is that something that only someone like yourself that is really involved and in, in studied in the history of stuff like that may so have? It, it, yeah, it kind of broke uh, about a year earlier with a, a New Yorker article mm-hmm. uh, talking about, like I think it was titled The Ghost, the ghost Course. Yes, uh, and and you, you linked to it in your article and actually clicked I, on it and ended up reading I did, the whole yeah. thing it's, as well. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's still there. I'm very happy that it's still out there in the, you know, the ether webs. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that I read that before, and that's what really got my initial juices going. Um, so the story of it was, you know, they had this uh, little nine-hole golf course out there, kind of played over this ground uh, that had actually been – sort of raised or flattened uh, for the war efforts in the 30s, uh, unfortunately. Um, but uh, they had this nine-hole course, and they, they knew they had some documentation of old Tom Morris having been there before. So uh, a couple of keen people and interested you know, kind of club members and uh, you know, one uh, sort of historian or you know, links consultant uh, knew about it. They all kind of you know, put their heads together and looked into it, and uh, you know, found out yeah, you know, old Tom had been there in 1891 and had routed a course through spectacular dunes, and um, so they try they set out to try and uh, you know reclaim that even if they weren't necessarily finding the exact holes that Tom, Tom, old Tom had uh, routed mm-hmm. and found, uh, at least just doing it in in spirit and trying to imagine, you know, what he would have done. Uh, and that involves just literally just going, walking through the ground and saying, okay, here's, here's where the fairway is going to be. Here's where the green's going to be. You, you tee off from here. And that's it. There's no, like, you come in, you tear up the ground, you shape it to what you want. No, you just, you go out and you, you mow it down and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Just insane. Like some of the pictures that you have posted on, uh, on your article, you almost look like, come on, like, this has to be some sort of a joke. Like, that's obviously a golf course, and it's obviously, like, somebody's made it. It's like, no, that's just how the land is. And you're like, how does it something so perfect just exist in nature? It's, it, it's wild. Yeah. And it's what we it's what we seek to mimic uh, to this day. Yeah. That, uh, you know, nature's still the best. <laughs> uh, she really is great. So, yeah, man, it's uh, – I, I, part of me kind of just wants to, like, talk about everything and all these blog posts, but I also – kind of want to encourage people to go and 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 check it out and read it for themselves so maybe, maybe we'll just kind of leave this one as like a little bit of a of a teaser for them but um yeah if, if somebody did want to you know read all this where where can they find your blog and, and find information on your services and, and everything else you've been writing brett uh, that's right at my uh my my website that's uh hochsteindesign.com mm-hmm. uh, pretty simple h-o-c-h-s-t-e-i-n design.com that's correct yeah. yeah perfect and just click on the blog post uh at the top and it's kind of where it's all getting. There's all sorts of the good stuff. The other thing that I really enjoyed uh, um, was kind of your your dissertation. I don't even know if that's the right word. Kind of on uh, uh, what Pebble would look like if you had a chance to go and work on it a little bit. I thought that was fantastic. Oh, yeah. um, 
you, you know that it's good when I actually had two different buddies, each one with uh, one with the Ask Finish article, one with the, the Pebble Beach article, send me the links to your blog post and be like, dude, you should check out this guy's blog. It's super dope and it's got some really cool, some cool uh, stuff cool. to read. And I've been like, you know, funny you should mention that. I know Brett. He's been on the podcast before, and I'm excited to to bring this up next time. I'm like, dude, hell yeah. I'm going to keep my eye out for that one. I'm like, all right, good. Good. I'm glad, wonder, I'm glad, I'm glad things are working out there. Oh, that's cool. I, I wonder who it is. I wonder if I, I follow them or anything. On the, the, two, the two buddies that reached out to me were actually uh, just like golf buddies of mine that, you know, uh, definitely a little younger. Uh, one of them is 26 right now, and the other one is 27. So they're not like my core group of golf buddies because we never went to school together. But, you know, mm-hmm. in the last few years, you know, we've played golf together. We enjoy each other's company. I, I have no idea whether they listen to the podcast or not, but they both separately reached out and, and referred, to, referred me to your blog. And I was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. But that, that, that makes me very happy. I hope you guys are reading it all. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's, that's really good to hear because yeah. sometimes, like, I'm, I'm putting in all this time, and I, I just have a, this kind of perfectionist mentality, and I just end up adding layers upon layers of all these things and spend way more time you know, on it than I initially set out. And it's like, is this really, is this all worth it? And do people care? <laughs> so it's, it's good to hear. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, not, not only am I enjoying it, I know some other guys uh, out there that I know are enjoying it as well. So I just, uh, I, I just hope you keep up the exceptional work, man. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what else you get to write here on your blog. I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing and, and following your career and uh, kind of seeing what you got working on next. And, you know, hopefully when this, this COVID thing uh, is, is under control and, and you can go back to work, uh, very, very excited to see what, what you got coming down the pipeline, my friend. Yeah, it'd be good. Uh, yeah, this was supposed to be a pretty big year for me and kind of kind of got derailed, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I will keep my fingers crossed that uh, it uh, still still includes some exciting stuff, which uh, no, no doubt it will uh, if and when, you know, obviously this, this pandemic thing is, uh, is able to be contained a little bit. But uh, yeah, Brett, my friend... I, we didn't even get a chance to talk about some of the most interesting stuff that I had on our podcast. So I think we're going to have to schedule another podcast here for pretty soon. I think so. Yeah, I'll have to do it. Awesome, man. Happy to, happy to do it again. Perfect. I love it. Well, uh, any parting words that you want to share with uh, with me or, or the listeners before we, uh, we bid you goodbye? Uh, no, just stay healthy, stay safe, uh, maintain your distance. And uh, if, if golf reopens, follow the rules and don't ruin it for everybody else. That's perfectly well said. Thank, thank you very much for that. Because I think a lot of golfers they go into autopilot mode when they get out there, and they'll they start walking up to me like, mm, "It's not that yeah, I hate like, you. It, yeah, I just don't want you to ruin it for everybody else." <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, just standing to get around together on the on the tee and just like chumming it up. It's like, eh, no, don't do that. No uh, handshakes. Yeah, yeah just, no handshakes. None of that. So yeah, just, just yeah, it's 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 the it is literally the best social distancing sport so or game. Yeah, and. Yeah, that's yeah, 100%. 100%, man. So uh, I love it. So, Brett, thank you so much for your time, man. I really, really appreciate it. This has been a, a ton of fun you know, recording uh, recording these podcasts with you, and I'm looking forward to doing it again soon. And hopefully, you know, if uh, if and when it's it's possible for us to do so, I'm really looking forward to teeing it up with you again, brother. Same here. Can't wait. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who knows? Maybe we'll uh, get, get going on that, uh, that gamble trip that I was talking about, that Sylvie's trip that I mentioned earlier. So, yeah, uh, that'd be fun. Awesome. Well, until next time, Brett, thank you very much, my friend, and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon, man. Sounds good. All Thanks. Right. Thanks, Brett.